Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come do some socially distanced riding here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Our guest today is Annika Beerton, who was born in the Netherlands, started riding when she was two years old, started racing BMX when she was four, then became a two-time world champion in BMX. But we're just getting warmed up here because Annika went on to race dual slalom, four cross, DH, and XC. She became a three-time four cross world champion. She has won podium and top five in many enduro, DH, and dual slalom races the last seven years. She's been the queen of crankworks. And then just a few days ago, she won the SoCal Enduro and the Snow Summit Downhill. So we thought this would be a good time to check in with Annika and hear more about what she's been up to these days. And joining us for the conversation is Blister reviewer Dylan Wood. And you are going to get to hear a bit more in this conversation about what we're calling the story of Dylan and Annika. So you've got that to look forward to. Uh, and so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Dylan Wood and Annika Beerton. Well, Annika, how are you today and where are you today? I am doing very good and I'm currently in Orange County, California. Cool. So Annika, this last weekend, uh, heard that you raced and kind of crushed it. So you took a first in the downhill and the enduro at Snow Summit. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, correct. I went finally back racing again here. It's It was very local, but it was awesome that they, um, you know, took the effort to put a race back on and yeah, took home the win. So I was pretty stoked. Awesome. Well, congrats. And it seems like most of us probably haven't had the chance to race this year. So could you maybe tell us what it's like? racing during a pandemic sort of how the format is if there's any changes you know what does that look like i mean once we started racing i didn't feel a lot of differences from like previous races like it, it it's been since march since i've been to new zealand so it has been a big break i think the first thing that you wonder is how is your competition doing but it felt like every, everybody that I talked to or everybody that I saw, everybody had the first excuse like, oh, I'm not fit. <laughs> I feel so unfit. <laughs> you know, I think everybody feels like they're not really prepared to go back to racing. Um, but for me, like I just kept riding so much lately over the last couple of months. And I spent so much time on my bike that like on the technical side, I felt really good. Uh, maybe it could have been a little bit better on the fitness side, but, you know, we can still work on that in the in the next couple of weeks. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, first of all, have you been in California for, well, for how long, let's say? Um, yeah, I got back from New Zealand. And since then, I kind of been here in California. Um, you know, I had a really busy year ahead with a lot of traveling and racing. But that all got put to a stop. And um, at one point, I decided to 
to start traveling a bit here in the U.S. because there were a few places that I'd never been. I had never been to Moab and I really wanted to go back to Crested Butte, Colorado Springs, Flagstaff. And I was like, well, there's no better time than now to, you know, like check out the, the country here. So packed up my truck and, you know, went on a road trip. So um, that's kind of the only traveling I've been doing. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to go back home to the Netherlands, although I would like to, but it's just too risky right now to travel. So, yeah. And I guess that's part of the story here, right? You were in Crested Butte recently. And Dylan, did you guys get to ride some bikes together? Yeah, we sure did. It was a, a great way to continue the story of Dylan and Annika from, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess we have to start at the beginning because when I was like 13 years old, I was at Colorado Freeride Festival racing XC and, you know, Annika was there with the specialized team. They're doing signatures after the event. So I got like a signed poster from Annika <laughs> and it hung it up in my like childhood bedroom and it's, it's still hanging there today. And then, like, a couple years later, ran into her at Trestle and, you know, of course, had to, like, follow her down for a lap, real fanboy style. And then, <laughs> yeah, I saw on her Instagram, she was looking for someone to show her around CB. So, I mean, I couldn't say no. So this is either, like, the sweetest story I've ever heard or, like, <laughs> slightly creepy. How are you feeling about this, Annika? <laughs> No, it's it's awesome. It's so cool. It's it's like it's great that like bicycles, you know, that it connects us like that. And that's that's just amazing, you know, and already for the last couple of years. And uh because I was I was in Crested Butte and I was like, "Man, I I still do remember a little bit where we went with the EWS, but then again, I don't want to go out and like look look on my phone on trail forks every 5 minutes and then having no cell phone service. Like I know like how far we can go into back country in Crested Butte. And I was asking my friend, I was like, ah, oh, you know, should I just like ask on Instagram if anybody wants to like show us around? And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, oh yeah, everybody's pretty cool here. I was like, I'm sure Crested Butte is going to be fine. <laughs> so yeah. One, I think that's pretty brave of you. And two, I honestly, for as much crap as I like to give Dylan, I mean, he's he is a hell of a guide around here. And so I think this worked out just really well. And it is amazing that your signed poster still hangs <laughs> in, in Dylan's old bedroom. Who else's poster did you have up or do you have up in your uh, home room? If you don't have mine up there, this is a problem. <laughs> we might need to, I'm going to need to send like autograph a cover of our buyer's guide or something. And you can just <laughs> thumbtack it to the wall. You know, that would be nice, but I, I have a, a sign poster of Curtis, Curtis Keene, and Martin Soderstrom as well. They were the other specialized teammates that were doing signatures that day. But unfortunately, I haven't got to ride with either of them. So I'm very happy with one out of three. For sure. <laughs> this is pretty good company, though. Solid triumvirate there. I was curious when you said, you know, you actually felt for this recent race, you felt good on the technical side of things, felt like the fitness side could be bumped up. In some ways, I wouldn't be surprised if you had kind of said the opposite, like that you had, you felt fit, but maybe hadn't been just being able to go as hard or feeling comfortable and sort of techie riding. Um, I think more on the fitness side, I kind of lost my 
routine at home with the COVID-19. So like before you really like you have a plan when you when before the season or in the season, you know, you know exactly what racing is coming up. So I really have a proper plan that I stick to training plan. And that was all out of the window right now. You know, like it was only a couple of weeks ago that I was like, oh, they're picking up racing again uh, here in Big Bear and some Californian Enduro series. So, you know, let's get back at it and, um, you know, get ready for those races. But it's a too short of a time to build on your gym, your strength um, and start train doing your intervals. Um, like I haven't been to the gym until like three weeks ago because I wasn't able to go to the gym. So, you know, I felt like I had two chicken legs that, you know, still needed some work. <laughs> but then on the other hand, like I, I've been having such great time just riding my bike. And I think that was really important that I just, I spent so much more time riding with my friends and I have a great group of friends that are, you know, super fast. And I think that's what really helped me with still feeling really good on the bike. <laughs> Speaking of friends, I just got to say you're, I think it was an Instagram post the other day that was you riding a chairlift with like <laughs> stick figure friends. I was I was laughing real hard at that one, but like yeah, socially distanced, uh, yeah, park riding. Right, yeah. yeah, I do ride with people. <laughs> it's not all solo. <laughs> I do have friends, believe me. <laughs> Just wanted to check. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think the stick figure has been on my Instagram every now and then, very randomly, just like the unicorn, you know, we're in, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's in there every now and then. So it pops up. <laughs> I kind of want to go back to the Crested Butte EWS. Um, a couple years ago, I heard you say something like that you prefer enduro stages that are more bike park like riding rather than steep and rocky. Is, is that still true for you today? Yeah, definitely. I definitely, I'm the kind of person that like, or like the Cresta Butte is really like moto-like. So like it's fast and it's, it's just, it's really fun to ride, I think, you know? And then like sometimes when you go to, let's say Italy or France, you can have very slow trails that are like your, your speed is not coming over like, you know, five miles, miles an hour. And I'm just like, ah, this is like trial style. And I just, I just prefer a little bit more speed and jumps and just uh, rocky and that kind of stuff, but not nothing too slow and uh, slow technical. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So having ridden in Crested Butte for, you know, last three years, I kind of, I like to think it falls kind of on the gnarlier end, but you know, you've won that EWS and, you know, by a, a good amount. So would you say it, you know, sort of falls in that category of being, yeah, a little bit more like faster technical rather than you know that slow technical like you said like where do you think it falls in that spectrum of like bike park to you know super steep techie yeah definitely the faster technical stuff i remember the the stages were very long um and they were physical but in a different way it was just like a lot of about like having having the skills and you know the the balls to really make sure that you hold on when you were you know, hitting sections really fast. Let's talk a little bit about where you grew up. Let's take it back. Okay. I grew up in the Netherlands um, in an area called the Back Corner, which is like, let's say you call something Orange County that was like kind of called the Back Corner. It was uh, in the country fields. My dad um, is a car, was a car mechanic. Uh, we had a little 
shop uh, next to the house. So I really always grew up around like cars uh, and like motorcycles. My dad was into motorcycles, but never into bicycles. Uh, but I got a bicycle, a little one, when I was really young at the age of three. And before I knew it, at the age of four, um, I went to the BMX track. And after that, I you know, didn't stop riding. I always rode. I did BMX till I was 16. Um, and then I made the switch to mountain biking. So, yeah, it, it took me a while to make the switch and to become like good at mountain biking. But, um, yeah, I went straight in from BMX to downhill racing. Forgive me, I don't know much about the BMX scene in the Netherlands. How uncommon is it that you got into BMX at a very young age? Or is it like, no, nah, it actually wasn't that uncommon. It was quite a prevalent thing, like in the community. Yeah, it was a lot of people or a lot of kids were riding BMX. You know, I'm talking about the 80s. So BMX was quite popular back then. The tracks were really mellow, you know, there was not a lot to to it. But, you know, every every town like had a little BMX track. So it was really easy to get into into racing and riding uh, BMX, especially very locally. Um, it didn't it took a few years until my parents took me like, you know, more to the national races and to the bigger races and international races. Not until I was like uh, 15. So, uh, yeah, I always just did everything very local Uh yeah, nothing, nothing big until I was like a little bit older. So you said you started mountain biking in the Netherlands uh, around 2000. Yeah, I think 1998 was my first world championships as a junior. And that must have been Mount St. Anne. Yeah, that was the first time I raced. Yeah. The first time you raced was at Mount St. Anne? And it's kind of funny because... Last year, I was back at Mount Sedan for the E-Mountain Bike World Championships. So, like, it was like, I, I felt really old. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was pretty cool to, like, be back there at the World Championships where I started, you know, so. I just can't get over anybody's first race being at Mount St. Anne somehow. That's, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it was really intimidating when I, yeah, rocked up as a young girl and had no clue what I was doing. I mean, I came from the Netherlands, which is really flat, and we always had to travel to Germany or Belgium to actually ride, you know, some mountain bikes or get like some good downhill training in. So it was quite intimidating, I can tell you that. <laughs> Seems like the last couple of years you've put a little bit more focus in inspiring more people to ride bikes, you know, new riders, younger riders. Who was a big inspiration for you when you were starting out as a young rider and racer? Ooh, there were quite a few of riders and racers that I always that always inspired me. But I remember at the first few races, at the first few World Cups in mountain biking, like um, Tara Yanis, uh, Lee Donovan, Mercedes Gonzalez, like Missy Jovi. That was like I looked up to those to those girls. You know, they were like I followed the racing already, and then all of a sudden I was racing against them. So yeah, those were definitely and and Caroline Chausson obviously as well. Um, so that was, those were the women I really looked up to back in the day. And it's cool because like, they're still like, even like Lee Donovan and Mercedes, I still ride with them like here, you know, they do a lot for the kids, uh, in uh, the schools right here. And every now and then I try to link up with them and we ride. So it's still like pretty cool. We always like laugh about it as well, because Lee Donovan, I beat her when I was at the Sea Otter Classic, my first time at the Sea Otter Classic, I was up against Lee. I think it was the semifinal, and I was so nervous. And I, 
and I, I took her out. I, I went on to the final and I was like, oh my God, I beat Lee Donovan, you know? It was like, and Lee, Lee still talks about it too. It was like, damn it. That was like the first time I got beat by this really young girl. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty cool. It sounds like even from a pretty early age, you kind of were able to key in to some women riders out there that you could kind of look to and be like, they're kind of paving a way like I can I've got a something to aim for and a kind of trajectory in front of me it's interesting just to think about that like if we're going back into kind of the early 2000s versus where we are today and in terms of you know we still talk about getting more women into mountain biking and you know having that kind of representation in the sport I'm curious I mean in some ways how much of your story is like, well, I kind of already found those women at a young age that I was like, I want to be like that versus like, well, maybe I didn't always have those people, but I just was like, I really like bikes and I'm going to see where I can take this. You know what I mean? I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. I would say, I think I, you know, I loved riding a bike that was, you know, I loved it. But on the other hand, for me going to the like international mountain bike races and seeing those girls, it gave me the feeling that um, I always felt I was different, like especially coming from the Netherlands. And, you know, like I like riding bikes and I ride dirt and I like dirt bikes. And I was like the tomboy. But back then being a tomboy was really strange, was really weird. Like, you know, like I, I got bullied for it. But then like you see uh, the women like Mercedes or Lee or Tara, you know, like I was like, cool like they're just like me you know like they're people that like love riding bicycles they they are who they are you know they're they're just being themselves and I think that was a big inspiration that I got from them and like what we what Dylan was just saying like that's something that I would like to pass on now into the younger generation you know and especially with all the social social media we have right now and the social media pressure I would I would like to see that like the girls that are into riding bicycles that they're just as normal and as cool as everybody else. They don't have to feel different. Uh, they can be who they are and, you know, just be themselves, be rad, because it's awesome that the young kids that you see now, how skillful they are, are, all are already on a young age, you know? And I think like, I rather show them that it's okay and not, not like try to push them in a direction that they have to be somebody else to try and get like sponsorship or, you know, think of posting things that it's not them. I think that's really important now. I feel like that I want to make sure that I keep passing that along. You're so kind of even keel telling this story, but when you're back talking about this period where you would be bullied because of what you were into, did you kind of like, all right, well, you people are idiots and this is what I love and I don't really care? Or was it harder than that? Um, I think I didn't really care too much. And I think now I'm the one laughing. <laughs> Sometimes what I think I'm like, well, you know, like I'm still doing what I love. And, you know, people laughed at me They're like, oh, you always ride your bicycle, you know, like, oh, the little bike, the BMX bike, like how, till what, till, you know, till what age can you do this? Like people would always ask me, people will still ask me, I'm like, hey, I'm still doing it. And like, I'm just going to keep pedaling, you know, as, as long as I can. 
So I think like I I never really of course like when you're a kid you're like you're like oh man damn it or you know like yeah I don't like playing with Barbies you know it's that's just not me so <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Looking back now I think that just all like made me who I am. So and yeah just always kept my parents never pushed me as well they always let me be you know my my dad was also also like always supporting me and teaching me how to use tools and work and all that stuff and I think now it's like you just appreciate it even more, you know? I think anyone who makes fun of you for riding bikes for a living should be dismissed pretty quickly because that <laughs> sounds pretty nice to me. <laughs> I think it's more jealousy than anything else. <laughs> You've talked a bit about New Zealand. We we're talking about the Netherlands. You know, you're in California these days. Do you see kind of distinct differences either just in the biking communities in some of these different places, or I guess we could m make that question more specific in terms of the communities of women biking in some of these places. What, what have you seen? What's your perspective on that? It, there, there is a little bit of difference in some places that you go to. And I do have to say that some communities are doing really well with like the kids and the girls and women on mountain biking, you know, and as soon as there is like a strong person behind it, really, you know, trying to lift it up and trying to get more women into biking, you see that the area or, you know, the, the park where you're riding have more women riding as well. They have, they have a great group of women in, in New Zealand and Rotorua as well that they, they always go on rides. Or for example, you go to Bentonville in Arkansas, they have a huge group of women riding. So it's more and more that, that it's picking up, you know, more and more women are getting into riding. Yeah, well, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, you've raced a lot of different disciplines throughout the years and, you know, kind of been good at just about everything. But what is your favorite discipline that you've raced ever? Oh, man, that's so difficult to answer. Yeah, the, like, I feel like the, the, the most exciting stuff was definitely the four cross. Like doing that with four people and like, it, it, it's not just about yourself. It's about competing against other people in the same, on the same track. But then like races, like the pump track or a line, like it's, it's so hard for me to pick, you know, it's, I, I like doing them all. So yeah, I can't even out of the top of my head. I can't even pick one right now. <laughs> yeah. I just like doing all the different stuff. You know, it's just keeps everything very fun. Like my training is always like very, very fun. And yeah. So you've raced EWS in a lot of different places throughout the world. Can you think of your favorite stop that you've competed at so far? Um, I would have to say my favorite stop would have been Tasmania. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. And then I have to say like the reason why I went back to Cresta Butte this, this last month was because I really loved the riding in Cresta Butte as well. So those two places um, I really enjoyed. And then there is uh, Anza in Spain. That was definitely on top of my list as well. That was some really cool riding there. So, And would you say for those three places, it's because the riding kind of suits your style best? Is, is that like the key that it lines up with what you just tend to like to ride? Uh, half and half, I would say, because otherwise I would pick like Winter Park or something because I always do would do really well in Winter Park as well. 
um, but also the vibe of the place, you know, like Tasmania was just like uh, such an amazing island, you know, like the, the place had just something about it. And the same with Spain. It's just like the place is beautiful and the, the, the riding is just different than anywhere else. So, um, yeah. And they're the same with like Finale. We all know Italy, Finale Liguria, how beautiful it is, you know? So, but that is not my favorite, favorite riding probably. So, so we need to. Get to Tasmania at some point, Dylan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Put that on the top of your list. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, I would definitely go to Tasmania with you sometime. That just, that's bound to, we're going to, we're coming back with some interesting stories out of that one, I think. Yeah. I can't say no to a trip to Tasmania. <laughs> all right, we'll see. We'll work on this. You've worked with different bike companies throughout your career. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but... In terms of just bikes, it seems like you've been working with Specialized the most. What has made you keep coming back to work with Specialized? Um, the brand itself and the people there. Um, the first time I rode for Specialized was when I was uh, quite a bit younger and I rolled into it in 2003. Um, I was just sponsored by the Netherlands. They gave me a bike and a shirt, you know, and they're like, good luck. And uh, A bike and a shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I was like super pumped. I was like so stoked. And I, I, that's when I actually went to Sea Otter Classic and I did really well. And then Specialized noticed me because it was at Sea Otter. Specialized is right around the corner. And they're like, hey, that girl can actually, you know, it's pretty good. So the year after they offered me, you know, a spot on the team. Um, I raced downhill, fall cross the years after for them. And then the team kind of stopped. So the team, like the gravity team, they stopped with the gravity team. So I had to look for something else. Specialized came back with an enduro team in 2013, uh, 14, and 15. I wanted to make the switch to enduro, so I reached out to Specialized and like, hey, I heard you guys, you know, are setting up a team. Um, I would love to give enduro a try. Maybe, you know, it would be a good fit to get back to Specialized. So that's how I got back on Specialized uh, together with Curtis um, and Mitch. And it was an awesome time. It was amazing. It was great. Um, but then also after three years, the team kind of like stopped and they were going a different direction a little bit. So, you know, no hard feelings. Um, I went to GT and then now after being, I have to think again, being on Alchemy that all didn't work out, that got all pretty messy. And so I had to look last minute for a new sponsor and, you know, I called specialized up, like, you know, they're still really great friends and I still talk to a lot of them and I ride with Curtis a lot. So and I was like, hey man, I'm kind of looking for a ride next year. Uh, is there anything you guys can do? And I'm like, yep, we want love to have you back on our brand. And I was like, same for me. You know, I would love to be back on Specialized because I love the bikes. I love everybody at the company. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I got back at Specialized and kind of set up my own program. So, you know, with the support of Specialized, I was able to put together my own, my own team. I'm curious what you tend to be the most picky about when it comes to your bike. So let's go through a couple of possibilities. <laughs> we yeah, could I'm say gonna have the, I'm gonna have the answer you're not gonna you're not gonna expect. <laughs> okay. Well I was gonna propose could be suspension, could be just bike fit, could be how you're setting up your cockpit. Um I guess we could say could be wheels, could be tires and tread so i'm most picky about my number plate 
<laughs> Elaborate. Well, and all and all my mechanics that I worked with over the years will know. You're like you don't touch Annika's number plate. <laughs> well, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a BMX thing. It's like uh, I hate it when the plate is like up or the cables are weird or it's sticking above my bar. Like it needs to be on there like flat and perfect and like it's something like I like to do myself. And um, I mean. My current mechanic knows and he does an amazing job, you know, like he knows like how picky I am with my number plate. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's just like, uh, I hate it when I see like somebody riding and his number plate is like all pointed up or like it's really bulky. So I'm always like really picky about that. But yeah, no, I mean, other than that, it's, um, I would say really important is just suspension setup, your wheels and tires. You know, that's definitely a few of the key things that I, Every ride I go out, those are the things I check, you know, before I go riding. Okay. But if like, if I'm ever supposed to like race against you and have any hope of winning, rather than like let a little more air out of your tires than you like, I should just mess with your number plate and I'd be all in your head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll be, I'll be, Perfect. I'll be lost. I'll be, I'll, I haven't, yeah, I'll be like, oh, I'll be looking for duct tape. <laughs> I'll be like, help, help. Yeah, even I remember like just, you know, when you have a new mechanic or team, I was like, no offense, but I would like to put my number plate on myself if you're okay with it. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, hilarious. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think I just kind of got number plate shamed because now that I think about it, like my number plate never sits well on my cables. Like I'm, I'm one of those guys who like the, the tie will break off the bottom and it'll just be flapping <laughs> the whole way down. Yeah. I feel like that'll, that would give you chills or, you know. <laughs> I mean, next time I see you, I'll like, I'll fix it for you. <laughs> I, I, I'm that person, you know, I'll be like, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, please. I would love Annika Bereton no, number plate service. Right. She's like, Dylan, you're really a mess here. Let me help you out. And she yeah. just comes over with some zip ties and takes care of you. All right. Yeah. All right. That was pretty great. I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, you've seen the mountain bike racing industry or just bike racing industry for a long time. And I want to know who is your favorite mountain biker. Doesn't have to be a racer, actually, who's active today. Like I love like I'm 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 really inspired by people that make me laugh online and I have to say like um a Bernard Kerr with everything he does he's so skillful or Kurt Voorhees like they always come up with such amazing things that keep it fun and then like riders like inspirational for example is like a Casey Brown I think like all the stuff that she does is she's so badass and like She's per, like pushing the free the, the side of the women's free riding, you know, and I think that's so important as well for the younger girls that are coming up. Then I have a lot of, you know, awesome people like Curtis Keene that I love to ride with. And I had like the, the best years ever riding with him. So there are so many awesome people out there. I mean, like it's hard to just like pick one and be like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, there's just many of them. There's this one rider. Um, what's his name? Dylan Wood. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm my mom's favorite mountain biker. That might be it. Hey, that's important. Yeah, that's really important. Maybe your mom should be your number one fan. Maybe my mom and it. my girlfriend. I hope I'm my girlfriend's favorite mountain biker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair. 
Um, you just gotta you just gotta check who else she follows on Instagram. Which mountain bikers, you know? That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. a Greg Minar or mm-hmm. it's probably Greg <laughs> Minar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably Minar. But you might be second or third, Dylan. You know, I think I'm just not gonna look for the sake of protecting my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but if I see she follows like Brandon Seminuk or something, I'll be like, oh, all right. Or Martin Söderström. Yeah, or Martin. Yeah, yeah, he's also very badass on everything he does. Or Brandon, you know, like, and so many amazing riders out there nowadays. Let's talk a little bit more about races and COVID. And I just saw, like, right before we hopped on that, like, it looks like the Grand Traverse announced that they're going to be holding a kind of modified version of that event here in Crested Butte in September, which I like my heart kind of leapt. I just God, I would be so psyched to see more races taking place like everywhere, right? And are you hearing any more about this? Or do you just expect like in Snowbird, they just ran, it sounds like successfully the Speed Goat 50k, a big hard trail running race. And I'm like, cool. Like, check that box. And it sounds like you just participated in a race that was a successful event. And I'm like, can we just please string together some successful events here and start like wandering out of our the entire world is shut down type of environment we've been living in? You guys hopeful? Yeah, definitely. I think the only problem is you have to look at it at a more of a local event, you know, like not worldwide yet. There's just like, what a lot of people don't understand, and I was actually reading something the other day on Pink Bike about like races overseas now. Like what people don't understand is like um, the problems that I run into, for example, of being in the US on a, a visa. So I'm here on a visa. So like I would be able to fly back to the Netherlands because I have a Dutch passport. But because I have a visa, I can't just go back into the US because I don't have a US passport. But this is this is home for me, you know? So, I mean, I could like, you know, bunk at my parents for a little bit, but if that turns out to be like a half year, I'm like, I love you, mom and dad, but you know, that's a little bit, might be a little bit too much. Um, so like, there's a lot of challenges still with like finding out if we can go internationally or how that is gonna go. But I think it's so important that we start local first again. You know, figure out how the races are going to work, if it's working with the, the local authority, uh, if they're okay with it. But I think what, what's most important is good for everybody's well-being. Just going out to a race again, you know, like being outside, racing, connecting again, socializing with your friends and the people you ride with. And I think that's just a really important part of it all as well, because... You know, I don't, it's, it's hard to put a finger down on COVID and to, we can't predict what is going to happen still, you know, it's already August and look where we are, you know? So I think if it's really great, if we can find little, little, little things to do locally, at least with picking up some races and hopefully, you know, like soon we can go back to bigger races or even traveling again. So. Yeah. It seems like with the you know, Crankwork Summer Series and, you know, the race you did at Snow Summit, I, I kind of feel like if racing is going to happen, it's going to be pretty local and just kind of have to be okay with that and understand that, you know, we haven't been able to race at all. So, you know, a local race while not, you know, a big overseas race might be all we got now. Yeah, exactly. And I think like you have to remember as well, like I noticed that a little bit last weekend, like 
we we had a really short enduro course but like you have to respect that the organizers are at least trying you know like they had to they had to like jump through hoops trying to get that race on there were so many restrictions and so many meetings that they had to do and then like i was a little bit disappointed about like hearing that some people didn't show up because um some of the pro athlete because there was no prize purse and i kind of went like okay we all complained that we had no races for the past few months and everybody wants to go back to racing and then people are not showing up because there's no price purse and i was like you forget the reason why you ride a bike you know because we ride a bike or i at least ride a bike because i like riding and i love racing because i love racing and not not necessarily because you know there's always has to be price purse you know i think people sometimes forget that and I was that was a little bit in my in the back of my mind kind of like uh, triggered me a little bit maybe because I felt like the organization is trying so hard and the people trying so hard to make something happen and then people are you know complaining about something like that which is like in the world we live in now it's just such a small thing you know like it's it's such a small thing to like think about that you know having not having price money so that's just the thought of telling it's saying how I felt about it so so, you know, Annika Beerton would be pretty easy to connect the dots and call you Annika 10 Beers. And I know people do. But I want to know who was the first person to put those dots together. Mitch Rapolato and Cody Kelly. Yeah, yeah. They started yelling like from like a distance when I would walk somewhere in the pit. 10 beers and then obviously everybody would look and yeah i was the one responding (laughs) (laughs) and it's pretty ironic because you don't drink right i hardly drink yeah 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 i'm definitely not beer (laughs) you're not gonna make it through 10 beers no no i'm a light (laughs) lightweight (laughs) yeah yeah no yeah i got that name uh i got that name from them Good. Well, props to them. I I feel like someone had to do it eventually. We are going to end this conversation with, you know, a big important question. You know, this podcast is called Bikes and Big Ideas. And so, you know, the question here is, Annika, what big idea do you have that's kind of kicking around your head these days? And we do like to always kind of provide the caveat. This could be a really big idea big ideas can be good ideas sometimes Mm -hmm. big ideas can be really bad ideas or dumb (laughs) ideas we don't judge here but we're just curious so what do you got okay well i'm currently working on a project called um crank it up mtb so that's something i would like to keep going after i stop riding um something just to keep coaching and keep inspiring people so i've been working on that behind the scene at home so, you know, try to do more coaching in the future and cl- camps and clinics, hopefully. And then other than that, I mean, yeah, COVID is getting to me as well. And I- ideas, yeah. I bought a book and it said, um, I saw it the other day at the store and it says, how to be a badass at making money. So <laughs> I think things are, <laughs> I was like, ah, I need to, you know, figure out something with like, you know, so I started reading that, but I haven't find a pot of gold yet or how to do it. So <laughs> you, you have yet to find the big idea in yeah. the book called how to be a badass at making money. 
I do want to. I'd want to spend a little bit of time on this here because one, I'm pretty sure I personally would have walked past a book <laughs> with that title. So I just want to know. There's a lot of books out there about you know what uh, giving financial advice. That was the one that spoke to you. Say more. It caught me, you know. I was like, badass making money. I was like, I can put those two together. I was like, yeah, let's buy it. And it was 30% off. So there you go. <laughs> first, <laughs> you <know? laughs> first, first bit of advice in the book, only buy books that are 30% off. That are on sale. Yeah. No, I mean, that it's just, I like reading and I like reading more mindful stuff, you know, like how to learn things and be a better, be a better self yourself, maybe. Um, yeah. So who knows what's that, what's what that's going to bring me. <laughs> but we'll see. Wait, so how far are are you just starting this book? Yeah, but I I actually bought two books at the same time and the the other one was uh Unfuck Yourself. So <laughs> it was about like how to <laughs> how to learn like how to learn how to be <laughs> 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 you know, like, COVID is doing weird things to me. You know, I'm climb I'm climbing up the walls here. So I was like, okay, I need to like get things straight again. <laughs> Not riding a bike is doing really weird things to me for a while. So no, but it was really it was a really good book actually, to be honest, because it's a really about like mindfulness and learning how to uh yeah, work on yourself, you know. I think like we often don't know the power of our brain, you know? So it's such a complex system. And I always say like, it doesn't matter how fit, how strong, you know, how skillful you are. If you don't have it all in order up in your mind, up in your brain, you're not going to win, you know? So I think that part of yourself is always stuff you can still learn. And yeah, you do that by, you know, reading books or listening to podcasts or stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah. Wait a second. You keep inspiring more questions here. Did you okay. finish... Have you finished how to unfuck yourself? Yeah. Okay, well then give me, like, can you give me one key takeaway from that book? Like, give me the action item that I should leave with. It's, um, for me, what one, the things that really was like, um, uh, uh, have no expectations and don't judge people. Yeah, we always have expectations. Sometimes it's better not to always have expectations from other people. Yeah, and don't, don't don't judge people, you know, especially not from the outside if you don't know them. We all we all have our our story and our struggles, and so our good days or bad days. I have to confess, sometimes I judge Dylan, and <laughs> and often for very he claims very unfounded reasons, which we won't really go into. I've learned a lot in this conversation, and Dylan, I'll try to do better. Yeah, let let's leave that for another day, and. Um, yeah, I appreciate the summary of how to unfuck yourself for real. And when you finish how to be a badass at making money, if you could please also summarize that for us because I'm yeah. I'm really dying to know how can I be a badass at making money. Yeah, um well, at least I'm reading it, so I'm trying to figure it out we we really <laughs> might need to have annika back like on a regular basis just like annika's book club and Please. it's like what did what amazing what book with an amazing title did you read this month 
and uh, yeah, she no, could just we could totally do that. Okay, we we might yeah. need to we might be recruiting you in on this. So uh, <laughs> a new segment, I love it. A new segment, yeah. <laughs> Annika's but yeah, on. those. So, but yeah, other than that, ideas not really. So I just hopefully try to, you know, keep going at the things that we're doing now. So somebody does need to figure out. I thought of that the other day. Um, I was camping. When you have your cooler and you get ice. Everything always gets all soggy inside your cooler because the ice melts. So I was using my camel bags, bladders to put the ice in and use that. I was like, somebody needs to make a bag that you can put your ice in that lasts longer. And then your cooler doesn't get all wet all the time. Does this not? I mean, the kind of liquid, the liquid sort of ice blocks exist, but but the bag... Yeah, because now if you have, so the ice melts and I still use that water. Oh. Ah. Annika, this is, you figured out how to be a badass at making money. Just go, <laughs> you need to go well, run and patent if, this. If, if there's any investor listening, if there's yeah. anybody out there that would like to invest in my idea right now. <laughs> Do Does this not exist? Are we sure this isn't already a thing? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I haven't think of any solution, and between the three of us, I think we would have figured it out by now. Annika, I think you you might have just become a badass at making money. So we'll. Oh, we'll, maybe this first has somebody been a, needs to sell the projects, <laughs> the, the products. <laughs> this has been a very productive conversation between the book reviews and the and the the new ideas. But what's life kind of look like for you, say, over the next several weeks? Um, well, currently, um, I'm still going to do some races that are coming up. Um, the, just the ones in Big Bear, I'm going to keep doing that. Um, some Maybe some Californian Enduro series. Um, just left and right, I'm doing some stuff with sponsors. Like for Oakley, they're right down the street here. Um, so I keep being busy as that with like Specialized as well. And what's really time consuming at the moment is I just started my application for the green card. Um, and that's a really long process and it takes a lot of time and collecting documents and translating documents and working with lawyers and, but I figured now, since I have the time, this is the best time for me to actually move from a, like a visa to hopefully to a green card one day. So I can, uh, do not have to worry every few, few years of like maybe having to go back home to the Netherlands or whatever. I really would like to, you know, I see more of a future here in the U S for myself with, you know, riding and mountain biking and coaching than anywhere else so yeah so that's a lot of time is going into that right now so yeah working on a green card yeah finishing how to be a badass at making money and launching 10 beers ice bags companies or whatever you know name tbd so you've got this is going to be a busy time and crank it up mtb and crank it up mtb yeah okay my new website should be launching next, next week so next week yeah, so I'm just always try to stay busy. You can't sit still. Just a refreshment of my old one, so just all up to date. But it was a lot more work than I expected as well. So I I I learned it the hard way. Let me say it that way. I was looking on your website to you know sort of do some research before this, and uh, I'm glad you're updating it. Is all I'll say. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really old. 
No, I definitely it need, needs needs a good updates. Yeah, no, it's it's good to like. I think it's really important as an athlete as well. You always need to work on that stuff, and um, it's really it's part of the job right now. You know, even with social media and uh, doing R and D for your sponsors, and there's always a lot more going on behind the scene than people know. I would say, like a lot of people just think I sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and ride my bike once a day, but I do a little bit more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so yeah. Huh. And it's fun. I love it. I love doing all that stuff. So it's it's fun. Annika, thank you. Seriously, this was really fun. Good luck with all the things you have on your plate. Yeah, it would be very fun. Please come back and talk to us sometime and give us the, the update on, on how all of this is going for you. Yeah, no, I would love to. Sounds great. Let's uh, keep it going. And uh, I would love to talk to you guys again soon. Awesome. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Annika for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Bikes and Big Ideas conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice rating or review in Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about the show. Okay, until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.